Welcome to Full Disclosure here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. Every Wednesday, we check in with David Greising, President and CEO of the Better Government Association, to get an update on what's happening under the Capitol Dome, how it's impacting you, and whether our government is being truly open and transparent with the people it is intended to serve. David, as always, welcome to the program. Good morning, Jim. Well, we start with uh, the the biggest issue that isn't so far. Uh, we've talked about it for a couple of years, ethics and ethics reform under the Capitol Dome. We're now less than two weeks away from the end of the legislative session. Very little has been done. Republicans are chafing and demanding more. So bring us up to speed. Well, Republicans are chafing and demanding more, and they're throwing out some ambitious ideas, especially as regards criminal prosecution of alleged ethics or, frankly, legal violations, uh, empowering they would uh, the Illinois Attorney General, for example, to conduct investigation using subpoena power, et cetera, uh, strengthening the uh, legislative inspector general, allowing for independent investigations not needing approval of a, a legislative commission in order to uh, conduct an investigation. They're also proposing uh, the so-called um, cooling off period of one year between the time that somebody uh, leaves the legislature and when they can begin lobbying that same body. Uh, that's better than the six months uh, contemplated in the Democratic proposal, uh, but it's nowhere near the kind of uh, kind of best practices, the one that BGA recommends, which is a two-year uh, cooling-off period. Uh, let's keep in mind, this is a Republican plan. The Republicans don't have anything close to the ability to push through something they want that the Democrats don't want. So while it's interesting, and it does represent an improvement over what the Democrats have floated, whether or not it actually sees the light of day is a completely different question. David, I hope you can give me some perspective on this, particularly as it pertains to the, the arena of criminal prosecution. We haven't really lacked for criminal prosecution of uh, ethics violations, uh, and the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago has kind of made that their bread and butter. Uh, it, what would happen uh, under the GOP plan that, that can't happen right now? I mean, can't state prosecutors or the attorney general, if they have evidence of a state crime, can't they already go after lawmakers or other elected officials? Well, there have been some limits, and this would give them uh, definitively more latitude. Um, uh, you know, statewide grand juries, uh, for example, the Illinois attorney general would be able to assemble a statewide grand jury. Current Illinois law only allows uh, that to be utilized in the cases of drugs, gangs, and child pornography. Um, it's really interesting, though, Jim. When we talk about ethics, we don't really necessarily mean law-breaking. Ethics is different than breaking laws. And one assembles a grand jury uh, or conducts a criminal investigation when, when one believes a law has been broken. And so our focus has been more about the ethical questions, which have to do with uh, influence peddling, that might be legal, but is not is not uh, in the interest of the people. Is not good government. And for example, a broadened definition of who is a lobbyist, or are those consultants who wander around basically under the guise of being lobbyists, but with a slightly different job description, should they be included as lobbyists? Or what about family members of elected representatives? Should they be? You know, are they allowed to lobby? So those are the ethical questions that we're concerned about, um, less so than this now. As regards giving that kind of power to a state's attorney or the Illinois attorney general, there's a fair question to be raised about, does that politicize some of this activity, this enforcement activity? The more enforcement activity, the better, probably. 
But there are concerns about uh, whether uh, there might be political vendettas carried out uh, through the guise of law enforcement. Yeah, but I'm glad you made the important distinction that a lot of what we're talking about here are things that may be technically legal, but are certainly not in the interests of voters. So it's going to be an important issue still. Uh, A couple of weeks, uh, not quite a couple of weeks left to see if anything materializes of substance there at the Statehouse. Obviously, another huge looming issue in these waning days of the legislative session is the state budget. Still some unanswered questions about how Illinois will be able to use its American Rescue Plan money. And there are other question marks, too. And, David, you recently delved into one area of spending uh, that's getting short shrift from the Pritzker administration having to do uh, with programs for those with disabilities. Yes. um, You know, we've seen uh, a a better-than-expected revenues uh, coming into the state um, with regard to... um, uh, the you know the economy has done better under COVID. Some of the federal money that has come in, come into Illinois has uh, has come in, in in more force than maybe was anticipated. And we saw, for example, uh, Governor Pritzker recently said that he was going to uh, go ahead and uh, uh, contribute money toward the education of uh, students in Illinois. Uh, the so-called evidence-based funding formula by which. He is going to spend an extra $350 million that was not in his budget. He was obligated to do so under a new law passed a few years ago, but he actually will do so now. And what he has not done is stepped up with regard to funding of programs for people with disabilities. And th- those that's one example of groups that have been left out so far of uh, the additional spending that the governor has at his disposal uh, as a result of the somewhat better than expected revenue picture. And and so uh, I wrote a column in the Tribune la- uh, last week uh, exhorting the governor to take a careful look at that, because uh, among the many social services cuts across the state, this is one that, that is really uh, cut deeply and hurt hard uh, for people uh, who are most vulnerable and most need help from uh, from government. Uh, David, uh, what's your sense of, uh, is this something that will be on the radar? We know there are obviously a lot of spending priorities, whereas we've been uh, talking about lobbyists. There are very high-powered, high-profile people who are out there beating the bushes every day at the Capitol uh, to get their special interests taken care of. Uh, Does the disability community have that kind of influence under the dome? (laughs) Uh, I don't know their lobbying uh, powers uh, well enough to give you a meaningful answer on that question, Jim. Uh, All I will say is there are more entrenched and powerful organizations out there or or bodies of interest out there than than the disability community. Uh, They are certainly, as as an example, the education community is pretty well represented. And um, that just because somebody's represented doesn't doesn't I mean some of these are very very good uh, 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 forces out down there. Education has been really well, carefully, thoughtfully, and 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 well informed representation down there. Uh, the disability community has that, but I don't think they have the clout of some of these other uh, kind of entrenched in- interests. No.
We've got more to get to this morning. It's full disclosure with David Grising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. When we come back, we're going to shift our focus to something we don't often spend a lot of time talking about here in downstate Illinois. But it is something that's important in terms of uh, impact on the state, its spending priorities, the policies that get developed. And that, of course, is who's sitting in the uh, office of mayor of Chicago. We're at the halfway point of Lori Lightfoot's term as mayor, and we're going to do a uh, uh, a, a midterm report card in just a moment with David Grising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. And while, uh, again, we don't spend uh, much time here focusing on what Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is up to, it certainly does have an impact on the state, its priorities, its spending, its policies. Uh, and two years into her term, Lori Lightfoot has proven to be a, a study in contradictions just yesterday she released a, a video that's gone viral showing her and the Chicago Board of Health Director Dr. Allison Arwadi just kind of hanging out in beach chairs talking about going back to concerts and uh, getting geared up for Lollapalooza. On the other hand, we've seen uh, hacked and leaked emails showing her to be at times a, a tyrant, a cranky boss, uh, somebody really difficult to work for, and somebody who has uh, had real struggles in dealing both with the Chicago City Council and the Illinois General Assembly. David Grising and the BGA have taken a close look at Lori Lightfoot's record at the midpoint. So, David, tell us what uh, what you found and what the rest of the state needs to know about the mayor. Well, Jim, I'm not sure we have time to catalog her troubles both with the City Council and with the General Assembly. So let's just focus on the General Assembly. Uh, this mayor has... Um, uh, she's got one kind of win to her credit in the two years that she's been in office, which is the she has gotten some changes to the casino, the gambling legislation that does pave the way for the opening of a Chicago casino that could over time deliver about a billion dollars uh, to the state capital fund. Uh, she needed to get legislators to agree to uh, a change in, in the uh, taxation upfront for any investment in a Chicago casino. Beyond that, she really has not made much progress. She tried to get uh, Governor Pritzker to pick up uh, the Chicago's very underfunded uh, pensions, uh, wrap them into the municipal pension uh, move he made earlier. And that has not happened. She lately has been making vague comments about forcing a reckoning on pensions with Springfield, uh, but she has not been specific about what that means. Uh, she lost out in her effort with the Chicago Teachers Union, which obtained recently uh, expanded bargaining power over hours and staffing, et cetera. Uh, so that's a huge loss because the CTU is her nemesis. Uh, she, uh, right now, a battle is underway for an elected school board. She said she wanted one as a candidate, then she quickly changed her mind. She has proposed a hybrid school board. She recently got some help from Don Harmon, who said maybe as a bridge period, he would like to try a hybrid for a couple of years before going to a fully elected school board. But an elected school board bill passed out of the House and that one is not over yet. She didn't get a real estate transfer tax that she wanted. She didn't get an increase in professional services fees. Um, it's been, uh, this is a mayor who really has not really found her footing in Springfield and um, doesn't have people down there to get things done on her behalf as, she, as her predecessors have done so. So this is something, if she wants to be a success as mayor, if she wants to run for and win re-election, uh, she's got a lot of work to do in Springfield.
Yeah, David, I, I don't know how much you know about her background. Did she have any prior government experience or elected experience before becoming mayor of Chicago? She uh, was appointed by Mayor Rahm Emanuel to run the uh, Chicago Police Board, which is uh, has oversight over police misconduct cases. And she did a very good job at that. And that's what uh, gave her standing as a candidate for election as mayor. This was her first ever run for public office. And uh, other than that position and one other with regard to policing, uh, she had no prior um, uh, public service other than uh, an early stint in the uh, the uh, uh, states the prosecutor's office the um, uh, of the Northern District of Illinois. Uh, she's not a politician. Quite clearly, she's not a politician. That was one of her redeeming factors when she ran against uh, the Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle and others. Uh, but um, her, uh, she's not finding a lot of support uh, across the city these days. Despite those charming uh, uh, videos and, and memes that are made of her, and in her very. Uh, very good and, and and well thought out fight against COVID. It's just a, another example, again, of the challenges that officials find when their first venture into elective office is at the at top of a major operation, whether it's the city of Chicago or the state of Illinois. They don't have a lot of background in governing or in the legislative process, and they find themselves running into these buzz saws because they just don't really know what they're doing or how to navigate uh, some of these minefields that they step into. And and, and it shows, and, and we see then that sort of gridlock that, that you've detailed here. Well, think about gridlock. Think about what we experienced under Governor Bruce Rauner, who came down to Springfield with a mission to change the way things were done, to demonize Mike Madigan, and not realizing that in order to get anything done, it had to go through Mike Madigan, and therefore we had a budget impasse that lasted for almost two years and really did long-term damage to the state. It's one thing to be an idealist and have— uh, an agenda that you want to pursue as a private citizen. It's a lot different when you get elected and you have to compromise and negotiate and find support and uh, make changes to your uh, ideal uh, in order to get something done, not to let the perfect be the enemy of the very good. And too often, these first-time elected officials, that's what that's the trap they fall into. They don't know how to, uh, to, to deal in the give and take of lawmaking. We sometimes talk about it as a a process that has its blemishes and flaws and concerns about ethics, et cetera. But it is a process. It is a system that ultimately you have to be effective in in order to do any good for the people. And we're finding with some of these first-time elected officials uh, that they they didn't go to school on that, and it shows. Well, of course, the Better Government Association uh, digs deeply into policy and that sort of insightful analysis of the governmental and political landscape. But they also do something very important, something that is unfortunately on the wane elsewhere, and that's investigative reporting. Uh, and the BGA making uh, some moves now to shore up that part uh, of its operation. So, David, tell us about the investigative journalism side of the BGA. Well, the investigative journalism side is really, that's where we have our biggest investment of staff. We have 10 people full-time doing investigations of structural failings in government. Uh, we also work a lot with um, uh, other partner organizations uh, in order to bring ex additional expertise and, uh, and, and just boots on the ground uh, in order to get to the bottom of stories uh, having to do with uh, government failures. You know, the BGA, uh, we published a story early on in COVID about uh, the the uh, 
budgeting at the Department of uh, uh, Health in Illinois and, and how um, um, that was going to affect uh, the response to COVID and in terms of unemployment security, that, that sort of issue. Uh, we've looked at a number of, uh, of issues statewide. Uh, the giving, uh, the giveaway to Amazon, for example, of uh, uh, tax subsidies by suburbs, uh, the southern suburbs of Chicago that can ill afford to be giving away millions of dollars to this to the world's uh, richest corporation, uh, et cetera. We look at these things uh, in order to hold government accountable. We also do so with the help of interns uh, from uh, uh, colleges and universities or early career journalists who work with us. And some of them have gone on uh, to positions of importance uh, in the city and uh, and even come to be board members of the BGA uh, later on in their careers. And so uh, we, we try to work to uh, keep investigative journalism healthy in this day of uh, big challenges in the news business. And David, and we're just we about always, out of time, yeah. unfortunately. So tell people quickly how to find the BGA and its important work. We're at uh, bettergov.org, and my email is dgreising at bettergov.org. And, of course, here each week in full disclosure on WMAY. David, thanks. We will talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Jim. Goodbye.